Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. another awesome episode of leaving a legacy i'm your host jerry me uh, unfortunately uh pat is not with us tonight he got stuck at work but that's okay i have an awesome guest helping me out in the booth uh with me tonight uh we have alex now is it alex alexander what, what do you prefer so I, I just go by Tash because there's like a lot of Alexes. <laughs> there's so many Alexes when I first started playing Magic that, I mean, nobody called me by my, my first name. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, so yeah, I, I go by Tash. Tash is cool. But uh, at, at a retail setting, I'm Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So Alex Tash, better known as Tash. I mean, when, when you have like such a succinct uh, last name like that, it just it just falls into place. So thanks for uh, joining me today, uh, today, Tash. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jerry. This is this is like surreal because I'm like. I'm so used to just hearing you and like <laughs> listening to you and Pat and the guests talk instead of like, you know, having to like actually converse. So this is, this is a surreal experience for me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, definitely glad to have you. And um, you actually got uh, referred to us uh, from, you know, friend of the cast, Matthew Hackbert. Um, he wanted to make sure you got your story out there because we just had, uh, say John in a previous episode talking about the Arizona legacy league and yeah, 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 yeah. come to find out Arizona is much more of a legacy hotbed than we expected. There's actually a second Arizona legacy league uh, going on at the same time. So you, you guys are getting lots of legacy tournaments and what I would not have considered a, uh, a legacy heavy state. So really wanted to get your input on, you know, your side of the scene and kind of how it might different differentiate from uh, what we talked about in uh, the previous episode. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for, for the state that Arizona is, there is surprisingly a lot of like legacy players. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess, I, I guess uh, I can like talk a little bit about like myself. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let our listeners know kind of like what, yeah. What's your backstory first? I just realized for those that you don't know, uh, currently I'm, I'm the self-appointed head tournament organizer at uh, your friendly local game store, Olympus games and out in uh, Mesa, Arizona. And then also uh, more importantly, I'm the chief coordinator for the Arizona magic series, which is, the tournament organization that uh, basically plans and uh, conducts the year long legacy league that has been going like that has been going on for, for years now. So like, it's pretty, pretty uh, has like a deep history, like since 2014, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm part of that with me, uh, David and Daniel. And then uh, previously you guys have had some other, like uh, our head tournament organizers on before, like, like Sage and then Griffin, yep. both on the cast before. 
so yeah, Arizona is awesome for legacy. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so help our listeners. So what, what's different between, you know, this league and the one we had Sage on talking about last week, are they, is it like geographically different or is it just different stores or, or what's kind of the, the differences between the leagues? Uh, as, as far as I know, uh, the gamers guild legacy open that they're hosting, I, I believe they're trying to like start it up to become a, a series, mm-hmm. but a, as of now, at least the known information outside of like the gamers guild circle is that it's the, the one open now and they they have future plans mm-hmm. is, is, is as far as I know. And then, uh, as far as, uh, the legacy league that we normally uh, just run or that just normally happens every year is a, uh, is more like a grassroots tournament. So we don't have an official sponsor or like any money backing from like a store per se. Mm-hmm. It's just uh just a bunch of guys just saying like, Hey, and then we like go up to a store and be like, can we run a legacy tournament here? <laughs> please, please, sir. Can we use your space? <laughs> and, if, and if the store owners are kind enough to let us run a legacy tournament there, then we get to run our legacy tournaments. And that, that's been going on for, for years now. Like that has been the mainstay of legacy in Arizona. And uh, so as far as us, our, we go, we have like eight tournaments, I believe planned out for this year. And, uh, uh, gamers guild is actually one of our uh, our hosting uh stores so they're they're a huge uh huge uh proponent for supporting local game tournaments and like the local like legacy scene so like shout out to the gamers guild and all the stores that let us host there uh but i guess the main distinction is as as far as i know is that uh the legacy open happening on april 16th is gamers guild uh their own series that they're trying to get up and going Mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for like as, as much legacy as I can get in paper, like yeah. I'm, I'm two thumbs up for it. So love to hear that, that they're trying to start that up. And I believe Sage is, Sage is helping them out organizing that as well. So. Awesome. Awesome. So definitely no shortage of legacy tournaments in Arizona, which is, you know, great. I mean, I've, I've definitely talked to lots of legacy players from Arizona uh, before, you know, like we mentioned, we've had them on the cast, but you know, I, I never really uh, realized just how, how deep and widespread the legacy community is in Arizona. Um, do you feel there was like a special sauce that, that caused all the legacy players to, uh, coordinate in the area or do you feel just kind of a snowball effect or once you get one legacy player they start you know teaching other legacy players like part 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 of it is definitely that like once you have one legacy player i mean if you have if you uh, everyone on the cast like most of them are legacy players and have legacy player friends mm-hmm. so you know how legacy players are like like once they find like a deck or a certain interaction that they like a lot, a lot of them tend to like dig in and like have pet decks that they like like master for years especially in paper because just like how hard it is sometimes to transition between decks too as well yep uh but i think a lot of it we have to thank for the people that started up the legacy league before us Mm -hmm. actually which as i said earlier like goes all the way back to 2014 uh, the A-Bong brothers, uh, the Fable, they, they actually were like pretty really good Magic players. They were on like SCG when SCG still had the West Coast circuit. They were on like some of their top eight like feature matches. Mm-hmm. So like they, they weren't slouches they, themselves, uh, but they started up the whole legacy scene back then. Like before it was just like stores maybe trying to run weeklies. 
and they kind of like united everyone together and like all right we're gonna start a legacy league and everyone's gonna compete for the best spot and that happened in 2014 and then since then we've been running it so uh the abong brothers and then uh griffin took over for a while uh griffin had a chance to talk about that uh we have a lot to thank to griffin for how the league currently is because he really solidified all the systems that we have so shout out to griffin i know he's taken a step back from uh the legacy scene but he's done a lot for the legacy scene so i wanted to thank him for that and then uh 2018 comes me david and sb uh we've been taking care of the league since it's definitely a labor of love there's not a lot of money in running tournaments right <laughs> yeah so uh we for the most part it's uh it's pro bono we're just doing it on our own dime and whatever we can we can so whoever like when whenever there's a big store like gamers guild or uh, olympus games like the store that i work at that are willing to help out the players and uh, have them host a tournament at their store it's it's huge i know you guys have a gaming etc i believe yep where you guys yeah. install your uh, leaving a legacy opens like you you probably feel the same way having a store owner that's that's willing to back you up for to run these tournaments it's it's just awesome oh yeah it's make or break yeah. like i don't think we could do the leaving legacy events if we didn't have michelle and gaming etc you know it's it, it's so key having the support of a of a store and having a place to play without you know yeah there are things like knights of columbus and things like that but that's just more costs that get added on to it which you know ultimately takes away from the prize pool yep 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 i mean that's that's like the big thing uh we put a heavy emphasis on that every entry we collect in some way or form goes back to the players mm -hmm. so if it's not the day of the tournament then it's going to the end of year tournament in in that form so uh we wanted to like put a heavy emphasis on the players and giving back to community and uh i think so far it's been it's been going pretty well awesome yeah no it yeah. definitely sounds it i'm i'm excited you know seeing this new hot spot of uh legacy content legacy action I'd, I'd really like to you know play uh play some matches in arizona sometime oh um, that, yeah that'd be awesome if you guys <laughs> <laughs> now uh what about you dash what's what's your uh your deck of choice what are you sleeping up when you go to these events or do you not really get much time to play because you're running around organizing everything oh no i, I play every every chance i get uh, okay <laughs> I, I try to play at least every chance i get uh i'm a long 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 time uh storm player now I, I say long long time but i i didn't even start playing like legacy until 2017 so i'm a if a legacy newbie if you will still still wetting my toes <laughs> But hey, yeah, that's, if, that's uh, still five years. Five years ain't nothing. <laughs> I know mean, compared to compared to some of these other guys. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a to the bone combo player. Love love casting dark ritual. Uh, Cyrus Cormingill, Caleb Shear have influenced a lot of my life decisions. <laughs> so uh, he, yeah, uh, Ant has always been like my my weapon of choice. I'm a, I'm a little sad in the current meta as it stands. I feel like Ant has maybe fallen out of a little favor. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, I, I, I play other decks too sometimes. Uh, I feel like I do best with combo. I feel like, Jay, you probably know how I feel. Oh yeah, you know, just the, the the call of combo Cthulhu is calling. <laughs> you know, you got to yeah. answer. Yeah, putting like I, I, 
for the past few months, I have had four colors sleeved up, like four color, like Euro piles sleeved up. It's, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. Casting dark ritual is just such a drug that can't get away from it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> now, um, how, so you said, you know, uh, Storm's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. What's, uh, in your experience, the Arizona meta like? Uh, you know, when we had Sage on previously, they mentioned that, uh, you know, Lands was very popular oh, in yeah. Arizona, which I find, which I found to be a bit surprising. Is that kind of your take too? It, it's kind of silly. There's like a ridiculous... Like if we had a percentage of the number of tabernacles owned in the world, like Arizona has a good chunk of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, there's, there's a ridiculous amount of lands players. I, I don't know if it's like, if you own a tabernacle, maybe they feel compelled to play it, I guess. <laughs> it, or fit it I, in their deck somehow. It's funny. Afterwards, I actually looked it up because I, I ended up, I sold my tabernacle stupidly, stupidly <laughs> sold my tabernacle uh, right before uh, COVID happened in uh, like late 2018. I sold it and I went back to my records and I checked like, yep, sure enough, I sold it to someone in Arizona and I, I mailed it out to, uh, to Arizona. So my, my, my tabernacle's floating around the, uh, the Arizona uh, events now. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> and the person yeah. who bought it, good, good on you. It's, it's since, uh, doubled in price since I, uh, since I sold it, but you know, sale of V <laughs> them's the breaks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's my philosophy. Never sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only, never sell only buy <laughs> only buy never sell. Uh, but yeah, as far as like the Arizona format, like meta as itself, uh, I would say it's like the in if we were just looking at bigger tournaments, we have a pretty pretty healthy meta. Like uh, there there are the few like spikes that cross over from other formats that are sleeving up blue red Delver or the new new hotness, which is the blue affinity deck that I I bet we'll be talking about later today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, for the most part, it's a lot of long time legacy players sleeving up their pet decks like. Like the 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 olden lands players or all the goblin players that somehow live in Arizona, <laughs> so yeah. For overall, I I love the Arizona meta. Uh, for the most part, I think it's a very heavy anti Delver meta. At least everyone seems to be sleeving up Delver hate for the most part, and that might have uh, driven down our Delver players like attendance a little bit. Mm. For, yeah, compared to like Moto results, I, I I don't feel like we get enough Delver players out here. But then I look at like East Coast streams, like uh like the MTG 90s legacy. When I look at like their locals, it's all Delver players. So I I would definitely say like there's less Delver players than I would expect at like a bigger tournament on like Moto or at like a GP and like the legacy meta at large, just because everyone's playing their pet deck, I suppose. Yeah, right. You know, that that's always going to be an extent, especially in paper. You know, everyone's going to have their pet decks. Um, and, you know, we try and read the tea leaves a bit, you know, as, yeah, as best yeah. we can. But at the end of the day, you know, Legacy is such a wild, wild west format. You never know what you're going to sit down across. It is. How, how about you, G? Have you been enjoying the meta recently? I have. I've found it to be pretty diverse. I'm not running into the same. Like I'm, I'm doing a five man league and playing five different decks uh, at pretty much every time. Oh, um, 
So uh, I haven't really had uh, much opportunity to get to the paper events. I, I moved uh, a couple months ago, so I'm about like an hour away from gaming, et cetera, which stinks. So I haven't been making it to the paper events as much, but I've still been playing a bunch of Magic Online and at least the Magic Online meta I've been enjoying. Yeah, I feel like ever the Ragavan ban, uh, you guys already talked about this a ton, but I think the Ragavan ban overall was very healthy. Um, I mean, work's probably not done for a R&D and if we ever get a legacy format panel, it's not like work's not done for them, but I think uh, overall we're, we're, everyone's happier to be playing legacy. I'm, I'm still losing to Delver, so nothing's much has changed for me, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> overall, overall, I think people are happier about like how legacy is going. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've actually noticed, uh, I've been talking to a few people about it. I know it doesn't, this doesn't do much for uh, the storm players like you dash, but uh, sneak, sneak and show has been making a comeback. Sneak and show has been feeling better and better in the meta every week. So I always like, I always like that. Yeah, I've, I always feel like whenever like Delver has a down tick, it's just time for Sneak and Show to shine and just start dominating the meta. Uh, uh, yeah, that I mean, as a Sneak and Show player, you basically have to like come to terms with that, that your your windows of opportunity in, in Legacy are tend to be, you know, fairly short. But when those windows happen, you just feel unstoppable. Like you're just so well prepared against the meta. Um, and it tends to be whenever there's like a major shakeup in the meta and everyone's still figuring things out and you just jam 15 15s on turn one. Um, or like you said, whenever, you know, the, the Delver deck of the Delver deck of the week is, uh, you know, kind of on a downswing and Delver's being pushed out of the meta. That's when kind of sneak and show rears its ugly head and starts beating up all the other decks until Delver comes back. You know exactly what that was. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as DRS got banned. Yep. And then until War of the Spark got printed. Oh, oh yeah. God. That was, that was Sneak and Show's hating. Yeah. I, every combo player was having the best time of their life, I'm pretty sure. Yep. <laughs> And then um, the time before that was uh, when uh, right after Treasure Cruise got banned. So Treasure Cruise got banned and all these decks that were running Treasure Cruise uh, like lost a huge power level. But Sneak and Show was still running Dig Through Time. And, and we're, <laughs> we're, we're fine with it. We're like, yeah, that's fine. Just Dig Through Time. Let's go. It's actually better for us. And uh, that I, I feel the Dig Through Time show and tell deck is probably the most powerful show and tell deck that's ever existed in, in legacy's history. Like that deck was absurd. Like it was, it was um, incredibly overpowered and like it was winning all the events <laughs> during that time frame. But of course those days can't last forever. And it, it soon, you know, kind of fell out of favor. Yeah. I mean, dig through, dig through time as a card itself is just it's so, so silly. It's just yeah, silly right? to exist on its own. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess actually that probably gives us a, a good uh, segue, if you will, into maybe discussing our first legacy event that happened for us in Arizona, at least. Yeah, I wanted to I, I wanted to go over that because uh, you sent me the top eight deck lists. Uh, this was from a, what date was this? It was a couple weeks so, ago. Yeah. So this was a few weeks ago. This was February uh, 26th. Uh, we had 42 legacy gamers come all the way out to Mesa, Arizona in Olympus Games. Shout out to Olympus Games. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> uh, that was our first event for, for us, at least, uh, the Arizona Magic Series. Uh, we crowned our new champion, uh, Nolan Allen. He was playing uh, 
the Kappa Cannoneer Affinity deck. Yeah, Kappa yeah. Cannoneer has been really popping up. Uh, my friend Dan is an avid uh, uh, Affinity player. He's been kicking himself that he didn't pick up the Kappa Cannoneer when it was spoiled because, yeah. <laughs> like, I think it was like pre-selling for like five dollars. Like, nah, that's the that's too much. And now I think they're like twenty dollar cards. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's so silly. It's it's a you can buy the commander deck and you get the card. Right. Yep. So, so you would think supply would be plentiful, but, but alas, oh, here, here see, we are. <laughs> saying that, I, I could, I could tell you're a young whippersnapper who didn't live through the true name Nemesis days. Mm. Uh, man, when true name, <laughs> when true name Nemesis was first printed, it was printed in a commander set, and it was so good and so powerful. It was a hundred dollar card. You know, people were camping out in front of targets because. You know, all the big box stores, Commander is actually one of the magic products that the big box stores actually carry. And so there would just be people in Targets and Walmarts and Toys R Us's and all over the place, just like rifling through the Commander's decks and like only taking the true name nemesis pack and like bribing employees to go into the back and get them out of like the storage forum. And I think that's honestly why uh, like wizards has like renegotiated things with uh, the big box stores. Cause the big box stores sold out all of these uh, true name nemesis commander packs. And then all the other ones were left on the shelves. Like no one wanted them. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, that, I feel like that's kind of how like Pokemon and like all the other card games are kind of going right now too. That, that's crazy because like big box stores, I mean, this is a whole nother, I guess, topic of like big box stores carrying these card games in the first place. But, but yeah, the fact that, that wizards, keeps on printing these products and supplementary products or limited release products. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. But- and, <laughs> and, and the problem with it is, is that like what people don't understand is like, it's not like stores can come up and order. It's like, yeah, I want like 20 copies of this commander deck and 30 copies of that commander deck. Um, usually what happens is they, they order them in sets. It's like, yeah, I'll order like 10 sets of commander and each set will have one of each of the commander decks. And so if only one of the commander decks is popular and only one of the commander decks actually sells, it ends up limiting the supply that's out there because stores aren't going to buy, you know, a hundred commander sets and only to sell, you know, one fifth of the decks and have the other, you know, uh, four decks just sit on the shelves gathering dust. Absolutely. So uh, the past few years I've been working at like card shops so I, I see that all the time. Like every time there's a commander set releases, like uh, with Strixhaven, it was the red, right, the uh, red, white Boros deck. That was the only one that was popular. And then we just have a bunch of the silver ones just sitting in the back. Yep. Like, people <laughs> still come in and they're asked like, oh, do you guys have the commander deck we don't have? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> want the silver quill one though <laughs> we got lots of them <laughs> so yeah it's 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 a silly system uh but but yeah kappa cannoneer as a card though is absolutely bonkers i the, i can't i can't believe how much well for, there's too much line of text on this card like, there's so many lines and when they have cards that are looking like Yu-Gi-Oh cards like that it, it just has to be good yeah. <laughs> so, 
So Nolan came in first. The, their Kappa affinity list. Uh, what what uh was kind of the? I mean, it's an affinity deck at the end of the day, but it's definitely different from the old, you know, frog mite uh, style affinity that that we uh, first saw. How how did the deck kind of perform? You know, what what do you feel set it apart that let it take that first place spot? So uh, I've been talking to a lot of like, I, well, I had a chance to speak with Nolan as well and all the other affinity players. And I've been trying to convince my roommate to play the Kappa Cannoneers and, and he, he sees it now. <laughs> yep. But uh, all of them, or, or at least all the affinity players that I do talk to it, uh, that were familiar with like the ACAST style, mm-hmm. were talking about how sometimes you would like poop out your hand and draw some cards. But at the end of the day, you have like a 2-2 and and then an Emery in play. <laughs> so yep. you're, you're like, if you don't get to the Urza sagas of your deck, or if you don't get to like the size to like build up a big board, it, it was hard to close out games, even though you had a high velocity of spells going through your hand. Kappa uh, Cannon here just kind of solved that whole issue. Like you just plop it down on turn two or turn three, and your opponent has to get to turn five to swords it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see that because I mean that's what I thought. So eight cast was always uh, lacking that big oomph card, like you said. You know the 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 haymaker. You know previous affinity lists had things like arcbound ravager to close out the game, and uh, Kappa Cannoneer just kind of seems like the the better choice. It's, I I view Kappa Cannoneer as like uh, affinity's version of Merktide Region, like just this big bolt. Uh, you know. Uh, tanky creature that is somewhat difficult to kill and you can just cheat out for really really cheap yeah it's it's it has it's actually very, it fills a super similar role as the blue red delver does like their play styles may be different but it's the exact same card in terms of like it's the game ender that yeah. comes out if it can't be dealt with in the first few turns it basically takes over the game and the game is over uh yeah, I I don't know how you feel about the card. Like I I know there has been murmurs that was like, okay, does something need to go from like mm-hmm. this this affinity deck? Oh man, people are already talking bans for the affinity deck. It, it's, <laughs> it, I I personally think it's just like that first like week one, week two like adjustment period. Mm-hmm. Like I've uh, all the Delver decks are playing at least two meltdowns in their sideboards now. Like all the decks that can afford it are playing Seeds of Innocence, and uh, I I heard that Terminus me, might be making a comeback as well. So, <laughs> oh man, yeah, and that was always the the answer back in the day. You know, nothing like a good old Wrath of God effect to deal with uh, decks that vomit their hand onto the board. It's it's their kryptonite. Like, yeah. term- <laughs> they just need to be hit by a few Terminus, and then they won't think about sleeving up the deck again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but good on Nolan for for taking down the first uh, number one spot. Uh, number two, we have Kelly Briner running Turbo Doomsday. So what makes what makes Turbo Doomsday Turbo? Is it supercharged? Yeah. So I was only uh, trying to make the distinction, I guess, of Turbo Doomsday. So in my mind, as as a core combo player, mm-hmm. uh, there's only one Doomsday deck. It's it's the Turbo Doomsday deck, right? Where you try to cast Doomsday and win on the same turn. Uh, but the the more popular variant, I guess, online is now like the mid range Grixis or Blue Black Doomsday list. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's running uh, the Merktide Regents. Uh, the take extra turn spell is it temporal mastery is that this yeah. card's name yeah. yeah 
So, so yeah, those, those the, the, doom, the doomsday problem. list I want to try, but I'm too poor because all the cards in it are, are super expensive. That, that version. <laughs> See, I, I like, I like Kelly's uh, version of the doomsday deck. Cause I can, it looks like I can actually afford to play uh, this turbo doomsday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like this has been like, this was like the doomsday deck for the longest time. Yep. Uh, but uh, I believe the blue black Grixis version that runs uh, Merktide. It's just the Delver matchup is so much better because it runs mm-hmm. Baleful Strix yeah. and all the other mid range cards that lets them pivot off of having to cast Doomsday. Yep. Uh, so I, I think that was like a reason why we saw an uptick in those mid range style Doomsday decks. Obviously, I think they're like, boo, just play, just play, just play, pick a side. <laughs> Go, ham. Go yeah, ham. Go ham. Like, if you want to play Doomsday, play Doomsday. If you want to play that mid-range deck, go, like, go watch, like, Anurag Das or, uh, or Arkin and, like, play one of their decks. Don't, don't play it. Don't play that. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, I got doo-dooed on by that deck the last time I was playing, uh, like, Monday. Uh, Hackbert was actually playing it, <laughs> and he absolutely stomped me. <laughs> I go, Swords, your Murktide. He's like, cool, untap Doomsday. I'm like, uh, I lose. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the deck's, deck's super strong. Uh, but Kelly, shout out to Kelly. He's, uh, he's, a, he's now a very seasoned Doomsday player. Uh, ever since Thassa's Oracle got printed and the doc deck got popularized, he's been playing the deck. And uh, this was another solid finish for him. So, good job, Kelly. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, and, uh, oh, actually, did you get a chance to watch the match between uh, Nolan and Kelly for first place? Because I, I, I did not. Uh, unfortunately, at the, at the time, I was still uh, running around, uh, making sure the tournament wasn't falling apart. Um, <laughs> but but as far as I know, I feel like Nolan was like just running hot all day, though. Yeah, because I mean, looking at Nolan's list, it's, it doesn't look like he has too many like combo hate pieces in in the sideboard. Oh, I guess he has the torpor orb. Those torpor orbs could definitely have given Kelly a, a problem, but for the most part, it looks like uh, just looking at the lists, I feel Nolan's path to victory is just uh, just being faster than the Doomsday deck. <laughs> yeah, that that that's like the thing too. When you when you play a Kappa Cannoneer, you put the Doomsday player in a spot where they have to win on the same turn they doomsday because if you pass the turn after a doomsday and they have a cap again you're just not going to survive because if no believe it or not cap a cannoneer cannot be blocked yep <laughs> so uh i i feel like cap a cannoneer probably beats up on the mid-range doomsday deck by just cutting them off of their doomsday plan completely mm-hmm. uh but Kelly, on the other end, he probably like he only has like traditional hate, but that's that's like the the ant players like issue with show and tell is the the show and tell player doesn't particularly have a lot of interaction for like the storm combo itself. But they have a force of will here and then a quick combo to back it up. So I think that's probably how the games went for Kelly against Nolan when he's playing Doomsday. Nolan probably had a force of all here to keep him himself from dying and then quick cap a cannon here to close the game out. Yeah. So I, going back to the, uh, the Merktide region comparison between Merktide region and cap a cannon here, um, you know, versing the Delver deck, you know, Delver is a pain in the ass, but you know, it's manageable. It's like, Oh, Delver hits the board. All right. I have five to six turns to, for me to win the game. Um, 
compared to like, oh, they slam a Murktide regent on the board or they slam in Affinity's case a Kappa Cannoneer on the board. You know, that I don't have five to six turns anymore. I have like two, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the there, these are these like the answer me cards. Uh that Modern Horizons 2 definitely introduced a few, few of them. Uh the Murktide Murktide Regent, Ragavan were both like the cards that was like answer me or I'm gonna take over the game. Uh, Ragavan at least was incremental advantage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. Kappa Cannonier and Murktide are like, answer me or I'm just going to win the game. <laughs> yeah, because it's because they just, the follow-up is so brutal too, because they, they grow. Like the fact that they're both growers is uh, really what seals the deal for them because you just can't predict, like you can't afford to let your opponent untap with them because you don't know what your opponent's going to do, where all of a sudden this Kappa Cannonier or this Murktide region could just double in power and then swing to your face. Exactly. Also, like Kappa Cannoneer, just uh, the text uh, printed on it saying 4-4 just, just feels so deceiving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, I don't think anyone has ever cast a 4-4 Kappa Cannoneer in their life because just the self, the fact that it triggers itself, it's always baseline 5-5. Five, five, and if you're untapping with it, it's going to be like coming at you for eight or nine damage. The fact that like it pumps on like land drops, you just like you untap with Kappa Cannoneer. It's like I play Seed of the Cyanid plus one plus one, Urza's Bubble, give it a plus one plus one. Uh, I want to throw down like uh, you know a Chalice of the Void or Aether Spell Bomb or just I'm going to Thought Cast and drop some Thought Monitors and you know oh I'm I'm bringing out Psy. You know all the Thoughters are going to trigger it. Like that Kappa Cannoneer is doubling in power, real freaking easy. (laughs) Yeah, it's huge uh yeah i mean i feel like the meta is going to adapt because uh you probably remember as soon as mh2 hit the the challenge following mh2 was the blue white affinity deck yeah it was like i think it won both of them i'm not sure at least it won at least one of them and then uh like a week or two after that everyone like realized meltdown was a card and they're like oh we forgot about this (laughs) (laughs) i was like let me take out your whole board some of your lands uh they're all gone now right and the other thing i'm thinking too is also just going you know once again the murktide comparison is it's also blue so it's gonna die to a lot of the same hate people are already bringing in for Murktide regions, namely you know like Red Elemental Blast and things like that. Cannoneer is a bit more tough just because of true. Yeah. It does have the ward. The ward does make it harder to kill than the Murktide. Yeah. So that so that is true. I think it's going to like require people to start running specific answers, like the well Meltdown's not a good good answer for that, but like the Seeds of Innocence that we see a lot more people running. And I mean DNT always has access to like Ataki or or even even worse cards that whatever dnt is up to these days yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh the meta meta will adapt i believe uh but i don't think that takes away from the fact that card is very 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 strong <laughs> yeah definitely uh so moving to the third and fourth place list uh we have uh mark uh uh, Ru- Ru- Ruicho? I hope I'm saying Rat- that right. Racho, Racho, oh, Racho. I, I, I actually I asked him like five times. I'm pretty sure I've known Mark for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I always call him Kachow when he walks in <laughs> because Excellent. of uh, Lightning Lightning McQueen. But but Mark Mark's longtime Delver player. Uh, he sleeved up Delver again for this event. Always always love to see him do well at tournaments. Uh, he's playing a pretty traditional list. Four Delvers, four DRCs, four Murktide Regent. His flex slots, see, he had a Brazen Borrower, 
uh, main board pyroblast and uh, one of unholy heat and a main board force negation. Nice. Now this, this event, was this your guys first uh, big event since the banning or has the meta down there already settled before this, you know, what, what was kind of the, the take on the room with the, the banning for this tournament? So overall, uh, a, a lot of people were happy to come out and obviously talk about Ragavan being banned. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the tardiness of the ban, uh, if you will, has kind of turned people off of Legacy a lot. Uh, this, this was spoken on a lot, but the fact that they took like two months after Eternal Weekend just to just to address something that they promised us at the time just it feel it feels so wrong but everyone was happy that ragavan was gone uh, a lot of people were still in agreement that maybe they would like to see a few more things adjusted uh, uh but giving giving the format it, its own time to uh to go through the the meta cycle and see what really floats to the top and what is a cut above of actual the meta itself will probably take some time, but people are happy. Uh, people are happy to play Legacy. But yeah, this was our first tournament after the banning. And it also happened to be the first tournament of uh, the whole year-long league. Awesome. Yeah. Sick. Uh, but yeah, that that's sick. Um, Mark, uh, good deck, but unfortunately not much to talk about. It's Blue Red Delver. <laughs> yeah, it's Delver. <laughs> uh, he, he, ha- he was running Energy Flux in his sideboard. That is interesting because that is probably his answer to all the affinity decks running around. Yeah, I was going to say that was a little bit interesting. The other one is um, End of Festivities. I've, that's one that I've been seeing creep up. It's a, it's a fairly new card. Um, I haven't really seen it in all the lists, but I have seen uh, a couple people run it. And it seems good. That's yeah, the, it's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's, yeah, End of Festivities. It's one red for a sorcery. Uh, and the festivities deals one damage to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control. It looking at it on paper, it just feels a little like pinging everything just doesn't feel great, especially at sorcery speed. Is it the fact that it like also hits planeswalkers that they're running it? Like, why why are people running this card? So uh Delver, well, I'm not an expert. I guess I should pre this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert when it comes to Delver, but uh, I, I do have a few friends that are very good Delver players, so I have a chance to talk to them. Uh, one of Delver's hardest matchups is Elves. Oh, and then, okay. And then traditionally, DNT is always somewhat of a struggle as well because it's more like a 60, 40, 55, like 45 kind of matchup, mm-hmm. I feel like, in DNT's favor. Uh, uh, and the festivities is just an upgraded blazing volley for them because it does instant incidentally hit planeswalkers as well. So yeah. there's no reason to run blazing volley anymore. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's just their answer to like having something to deal with uh, all the X ones that elves elves has. Elves is such a strong deck, by the way. It's it just doesn't see enough play in paper. How because I feel like how expensive cradles are. Right. Yeah. So, so basically, it's, they're just running it as like discounted py- pyroclasm, you know? They, yeah, yeah. I ah man, I, maybe this is just my sneaking show side talking, but there are just a lot of two toughness creatures out there that I don't feel comfortable with only <laughs> running in the festivities. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 a one sided board wipe. But the I guess the upside is that it does deal with Alisor Shepherd, which is like the big one. Yeah. But if, yeah. Oh, and I I guess the other big advantage is it's only creatures your opponents control so if you have like a pair of like unflipped delvers out there 
you know, you can cast in the festivities and not worry about nuking your own side of the board. Yeah, keep your side alive. Uh, like elect- I guess if you're thinking of, I feel like they could run even more. Is it Staticaster comes to mind? Yep. Uh, that seems like a, I've seen that in some sideboards. Uh, that seems like a good choice. But I'll I'll default to the to the experts. Mark Mark knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, and then the other third fourth place list is Anthony Rivera, which I I don't know if we've had Anthony on the cast before or if I just see his name in top eight lists all the time. But I definitely uh, recognize uh, recognize that name. And they're running like traditional uh, red green lands, like good old. Punishing fire, life from the loam lands. Like this almost looks like a, a lands list from uh, like 2016. Yeah. So Anthony, actually, and this Anthony Rivera is the Anthony R that you guys had on. Okay. Uh, yes. Like, yeah. Three I, weeks I, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew. I knew we. I knew we had him. Okay. Excellent. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. He was making the making all the jokes. Uh, yeah. Also, shout out to Anthony. Uh, he is our reigning champion from last year. Awesome. So uh, I guess I didn't really like finish the explanation of the league, but uh, we have like eight, eight city champs. They feed into an end of year invitational like Star City Games used to do. Uh, and Rivera, Anthony R, is our reigning champion from the 2021 uh, season. So shout out to him for supporting us all the time. And also he's, he's an amazing lands player. So if you look at his list, uh, I've actually was making fun of him because he's running three Yavamayas. So he has three X Yavamaya cradle of growth in his list. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of a new addition, you know, to the, to the traditional red green versions. It's just funny seeing that compared with such a traditional looking uh, list with the, uh, the punishing fires. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so this is his exact same list. Pretty much. He, he added Besages. I see that. Yeah. Uh, but this is like the exact same list he has been running since uh, I want to say like four, four months ago, <laughs> four or five months ago, even maybe uh, for like, he's been running the same list uh, for like the past three or four events he's been playing in. Uh, the new adaptation is being like he's running two Xpasage in the main. Uh, I believe he relegated the Ghost Quarter for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't see a Ghost Quarter. Uh, this is Besage is a card that I personally thought was going to be really problematic, uh, but it turns out that not the card advantage, the quote unquote card advantage you give your opponent by letting them search an extra land early if you do it early enough it actually adds up where yeah it would matter to bite you in the in the butt but the, the card itself is amazingly strong yeah i also feel Besaju. um people think about Besaju in a meta that doesn't exist anymore because it used to be before um uh what was it what was the Snowlands artifact that uh Arkham's Astrolabe? Yeah, Arkham's Astrolabe. Thank yeah. you. Before, so before Arkham's Astrolabe existed, like legacy decks had very, very few basic lands, like maybe one or two as a hedge against wasteland, but for the most part, basic lands were very rare in legacy. And then ever since Arkham's Astrolabe came along, 
legacy players i feel just got used to running more like a higher concentration of basics in their deck and because of that Basejo, i don't think is as powerful as it would have been in that like previous meta and i think if we ever go back to that previous meta where like basic lands are a rarity i think Basejo's power level starts to go through the roof in, in those situations but in the meta right now it does feel like that that downside of letting your opponent search is enough of a downside right now so uh, the neat, neat part about Baseju, uh also is that it lets them search for any basic land type. Mm-hmm. So right. they could get a dual land out. Oh but yeah, I, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But I, yeah. but I do, see, but I do see where you're coming from. Uh, uh, as the meta currently stands, pe- people are like where like land drops matter a lot more because the games are going a little longer. I feel like it also mm-hmm. could just be like the early meta like adapting to itself because like a lot of the Jeskai decks like are like the type of decks that are not looking to win the game before like turn eight or nine where they have accrued enough card advantage let's say or like even like Delver decks aren't necessarily a deck that are going to like kill kill you in a hurry so I think in that aspect like the Baseju card being uh an extra land drop for your opponent in a in a long game could just be a downside enough for it to not see like mainstream play and like every deck that could run it yeah but uh an uncounterable naturalize effect on a land <laughs> that yeah. by the way just comes into play untapped just casually it taps for green mana on the turn you play it uh it's it, the card itself is nuts i've already picked up all my borderless foils for the card it looks <laughs> <laughs> so i i would keep my eyes on the card long term i think it will uh, be a mainstay in a lot yeah. of decks even an ant because th- that's probably better than abrupt decay in a lot of sense it just doesn't wow, okay it doesn't yeah. kill thalia but it lets you get under three ball in two mana because channel isn't affected by trinisphere yep uh channel isn't affected by sphere effects or thalia tax effects or all that nonsense uh so uh in theory on paper in my head the card was so amazing uh, but then I did play it in four color control, gave my opponent two extra lands and just got blown out of the waters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not taking over like people were afraid when it got spoiled. Like when yeah. it got spoiled, people are like, what are you thinking, wizards? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it. Uh, I, I take back all of my statements to the people that I said Besage was going to get banned before release. <laughs> uh, the card isn't as busted as i thought it was but still i think it has a spot in a lot of different decks so i'm i'm excited to see that card awesome awesome and uh yeah good good stuff to anthony so anthony for our listeners too uh who are remembering anthony was on our uh, panel when ragavan got banned our hot takes panel uh anthony was uh was providing uh their context so uh good good seeing him pop up again um up next in the fifth and eighth, fifth through eighth place list, uh, Jesse James Adams running green white with a splash of black Maverick. Ne- don't see Maverick very often anymore, so good to see this this list pop up. So uh, Jesse, I, I I I've been saying this the whole time. Every everyone in this tournament is like a friend of mine. They're all longtime legacy players. Like I've known them for years. Jesse also a good friend of mine. Jesse has been playing Maverick since like since he's been playing magic basically like since he's bought four savannas <laughs> when he was like a kid back in new york he's been playing maverick 
And it's his specialty to pull it out when the meta is a little unsettled and people don't know what they should be expecting. He'll he'll pull out the Maverick and then he'll he, like as you as you can see, he was running hot all day. I think only to lose to who did he, I think he lost to maybe Delver or the Kappa Affinity. No, it probably was the Affinity deck. I think is what he lost to. But yeah, Jesse Jesse's awesome. His lists are always full of spice. Uh, he loves Thalia. He loves Mom. He loves wastelanding people with Knight of the Reliquary. <laughs> so this is, and it probably turned out to be a really good choice for the weekend because of all the Del- like. Uh, there was still all the Delver players. Weirdly enough, I this the tournament I think had more Delver players than our last tournament where Ragavan was legal. Yeah. So I think Sage made a point where the Delver players are don't feel ashamed to play their deck anymore. Yeah. Since Ragavan is banned, they can play it without shame. Right. I think that might be that that might range through a little bit uh to all the Delver players that came out that day. But yeah, Jesse, Jesse has let, let's go over some of his fight. He has a one of Night of Autumn. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say he's got main board. Lots of spicy one ofs in the list. Uh, especially the creatures. Like we got a one of Baneslayer Angel. Can't remember the last time I saw Baneslayer Angel sleeved up, but that's pretty sweet. Uh, you know, one of Questing Beast, one of uh Scavenge Goose, one of uh, Room Map Excavator, you know, the usual uh Green Sun Zenith targets. Um, what else we got here? Oh, and then I got on the newer side, uh, the endurance, and then also it's running a, a Gris the Hunger Tide. Uh, I'm guessing just because you know it's uh it's green sunnable, so it, it kind of fits into the the suite, or what was kind of your take on uh, the addition of Gris to the deck? Uh Gris, yeah, Gris being the green sunnable target, uh, is absolutely probably why he's running it. Uh, also, Grist is just an amazing mid-range like uh, tool for these type of decks to combat the blue-white X decks or like any mid-range blue X deck that is trying to leverage card advantage. Grist will come down and take over. And uh, also, Grist is just uh, just overall. I I believe like the downtick is like uh like it blows something up, right? So yeah, it's mi- means... minus two. You sack a creature when you do destroy target creature or planes planeswalker. Yeah, so that just means his green sun zenith turns into like a, a pseudo abrupt decay. Yeah, when you look at it that way, and yeah. you know, Gris sticks around too. You know, it can minus two and it goes to one loyalty. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty good. And then also the other kind of newer card additions running the uh, the prismatic ending, but that's kind of just to be expected at this point for I feel any any white based creature deck. And then I think like the main reason for his black splash was most likely the plague engineers in the sideboard. It looks yeah, like. it looks like that's really the only. Oh, and then also a uh, uh, Kaya Ghost Assassin too. That's another <laughs> spicy sideboard card. Kaya Ghost. I actually, I have to, actually have to look up this card. What does this card do? So Kaya Ghost Assassin is from Conspiracy. Take the crown, which is Conspiracy Two. It has a zero for Exile Kaya or up to one target creature, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upcreep, uh, you lose two life. Then she has a minus one for each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. And then a minus two for each opponent discards a card and you draw a card. Oh, now that, so Kai, I remember people were comboing it with uh, like Esper Stoneblade style because you just got, oh. you just you just blink things. So like you, you would be like, it's like an Esper Stoneblade 
Uh, so you'd like, you would blink your stone forge, get more triggers. You would blink your baleful strixes to draw more cards. And you know, you're just, you're just blinking your creatures every turn for value. Yeah. Card sweet. I love to see it. <laughs> yeah. So I could see, I could see how uh, Maverick would take advantage of that. Um, you know, getting those comes into play abilities um, off, off the creatures, but yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Just, yeah, just being a planeswalker too just lets you leverage against all the fair decks. Just planeswalkers right. are strong against them, so just another tool to have in the sideboard. Yep, definitely. Uh, now, uh, next in the fifth eighth, Dan Ford with a true blast from the past. I think it's honestly been a decade since I have seen this deck in the top eight slot, so that's awesome. Food Chain Goblins, the OG Food Chain deck. <laughs> <laughs> man and this is you know very similar to to the original food chain goblins uh for those who don't know food chain now is kind of is used as a, in a combo with uh uh griffin and i'm blanking on the the other creature that you can eternal cast from exile yeah eternal scourge thank you uh so food chain basically says exile a creature you had one uh you had mana to your mana pool equal to that creature's casting cost plus one um so when you pair it with like things like uh griffin and eternal scourge you end up making infinite mana and you can win the game this that way whereas food chain goblins kind of did it in a much fairer sense in that you would play all of these uh like tutor goblins like goblin matron and um what's the uh, goblin ringleader is the other one you would use them, you would refill your hand with those, and then you would exile the matron, exile the goblin ringleader to add mana to your mana pool to just power out more and more goblins. Uh, ultimately, it kind of kind of looks a little bit like an affinity deck and how it just vomits its hand onto the board while after drawing a bunch of cards. Uh, yeah, Dan, I mean, Dan's a longtime goblins player, and this is like his his flavor of goblins at the at the time. And I and he's been experimenting with like this Jund approach. He's uh, running ignobles in the main. Yeah, I was gonna say he got four yeah. ignoble hierarchs made. And obviously that helps him cast his uh his food chain as well, having the green splash. Uh, yep. But his, uh, I think his main combo now uses Snoop, if I'm, if I, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was gonna say when Conspicuous Snoop got spoiled, everyone said it was gonna be like the second coming of Goblins decks because now it had this crazy combo it could pull off, and that just kind of fizzled and never went anywhere. But now it looks like Dan's breaking it back out, breaking out the Snoop combo. So yeah, this gives like a Goblins kind of like a two prong approach to the game because normally they're more like a DNT style deck uh, or like a prison style deck where they have like wasteland ports and then they're running like little little creatures that kind of like beat you down and like gain incremental advantage. Yep. Uh, but Dan, like while he has foregone a little bit of that power, uh, he yeah, he's adding yeah a combo aspect, right? Yeah. So. He's not running the uh, the the Rashad and ports, and it looks like instead of so for the ignoble hierarch, looks like it's taking the slot of uh, Aether Vial. I don't see any Aether Vials in this list. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So no no wastelands, uh, no no ports, and it's heavy focus on getting your creatures out and getting uh, your food chain out and comboing with Snoop. And so the ba basic idea with the Snoop combo for those that don't know is. Uh, you somehow get Kiki Jiki on top of your deck, normally uh, using Bogart Harbinger. 
his ETB tutors a goblin, puts it on top of your deck, and then Snoop has the activated ability of whatever goblin you have revealed on top of your deck. So you put Kiki on top and then use Snoop's ability to make infinite copies of Snoop itself by targeting himself, since Snoop is not legendary. Uh, you have a bunch of tokens of Snoop, and then with your last token of Snoop, after the infinite tokens you make, you copy Bogat Harbinger one more time with Kiki's ability, and then you put Sling Gang on top. Then you have Sling Gang's activated ability to drain them for infinite. So right. that's like the bare bone breakdown of like his approach to comboing people out. There are so many more things he can do with Snoop in this deck. Well, yeah, because also with the food chains, that it can also make infinite mana for him because he can make infinite Snoops. And then if he doesn't have the combo to finish them, he can just make infinite mana and just cast all of these goblins anyways. Yeah, so normally, like, his... I don't know how many times he actually combo killed people. Normally, he, like, vomits out his hand and, like, presents an unbeatable board state that would normally, like, mean that he'll swing and kill them the same turn or the next turn. Uh, but Muxus does the heavy lifting when he's not comboing people out. Yeah, I was going to say, so a very distinctive feature of this uh, list compared to other goblins lists is uh, uh, he's running three Ancient Tomb, which is not a land you see in goblins decks very no. often. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So like, it just really shows how much he, he's powering out those food chains and powering out those Muxuses to get, get those sorts of wins. Yeah. Yeah, heavy focus on that. Dan, Dan's the type of guy that if he identifies a matchup that he doesn't want to lose, he will do everything in his power to make sure he doesn't lose to that matchup as bad as he <laughs> normally does. <laughs> so, I mean, this might be in response to Doomsday being such a popular deck online. Uh, it also just could be that he really likes Food Chain. But overall, super, super awesome deck to see it be played. Uh, he's also running two Furies as like his uh, flex card in the main board. Yep. Uh, Furies lets him deal with like a lot of like DNT or elves. If you look at his sideboard, uh, I guess green gave him access to carpet of flowers. He has the normal pyroblast, red elemental blast set up, three ley lines, two thorns, two magus of the moon, one trash master, and then the one masked vandal, the honorary goblin changeling. Uh, as obviously an answer to Cauldra Complete, I think, or any any deck that is running enchantments that he wants to exile, I guess Max Mass Vandal can come in handy in that. Yeah, pretty pretty neat list from Dan. Awesome, awesome. And then up next we got Scott Waterfield with another blue red Delver list. Uh, this one also looks pretty much the same. Uh, Has two islands over just one <laughs> yeah there we go <laughs> distinction uh, i will say they are running two meltdown so that just speaks towards the uh the popularity of affinity you know even running the meltdowns wasn't wasn't quite enough to get there <laughs> yeah yeah i believe so uh yeah uh, these delver lists are have been they get solved so quickly like right. even in new metas like i'm pretty sure like uh, like as far as main board goes, there's like three flex slots for Delver now. And then like, that's probably about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. So. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about those, it's Force of Negation, Chain Lightning, and the third Mishra's Bobble in Scott's list. Uh, those were his tech choices of the week. And uh, th those are the tech choices that got him to top eight. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, at this point, I feel 
like blue red delver is the deck for people who just don't want to think about their deck list they just want to you know get handed a deck and, and show up and play that that at least is kind of where i feel is you know you're if you're playing blue red delver you're not playing blue red delver because you're a a master deck craftsman you're playing blue red delver because it's statistically your best chance of winning that tournament <laughs> yeah i and and i honestly the people the people that can do that i respect them yeah, because, it's it's oh, it's definitely a skill. It's nothing to yeah. scoff out. It's just a little uh, boring to talk about. So we 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 give them a little bit more shit than usual. On yeah, the exactly. <laughs> Scott, Scott. By the way, if Scott ever listens to Scott, you're an amazing human being. This does not define you as a as a person. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, do you have the eighth list? Because it looks I like it got cut do. off. Yeah, let me let me send this to you one more time. Give me one sec. Uh, I, yeah, it was it was not in there. I actually I had to send it to you separately because they forgot to submit their list online. And it was uh Damon. He was running a doomsday. He was running like the the mid range doomsday deck that I was talking about earlier. Uh, that has like the the hermit, the temporal mastery. Um, so yeah, so this is the more kind of uh, mid-range Doomsday list that we were kind of talking about before, where you know it's starting to almost look like a blue-red Delver list. You know, running three Dragon Rage Channeler. Um, it's not. It's not running the Merktide Regent though. It looks like. Oh yeah. Am I, or am I missing it? it? Oh, yeah, just, just yep. It. No, yeah. my eye, my eyes just want to erase it from existence and just pretend <laughs> not to see it. So, yeah, Doomsday is running three Dragon Rage Channeler, four Merktide Regent. Uh, four baleful strix and then the uh two malevolent hermits for the creature suite yeah this this is like the new school of thought for doomsday i've, mm-hmm. I've already expressed how i feel about these combo players yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, like yeah choose a side you know uh damon is a great doomsday player by the way like he has top aided multiple events last year playing Doomsday. So I don't know why he's borrowing uh, power from the evil side. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was going to say he's running one Volcanic Island, one Steam Vents. Is that a budget choice or is there a, a tactical reason to run uh, Steam Vents over Volcanic Island? Uh, I don't know. Okay. So genuinely, that might have been just a typo or it might have been interesting. I just noticed that too. Oh, the other thing I did notice that uh, Damon did have a deck list error. Uh, he he didn't register his, well, he didn't write down his thoughts as Oracle. Oh. <laughs> so oh, I, man. I, that's... I did have to pull him aside to confirm it before we, uh, because obviously he was casting, he has four Doomsday was the first card he wrote on his list. So, uh, but, but yeah. The steam banks, I, I believe, might have been just a typo. Wait, so how does that work? If he, did, did he have to run a basic land in the fastest oracle spot, or was this caught before the tournament started? It was, it was, it was caught before the tournament started. Uh, okay, because he sent me, <laughs> he sent me his list on on Facebook. Yeah, and I looked, I looked at it, and I'm like, hey, Damon, like, where's the oracle? And it was like. Oh snap! I forgot to add it there, and I was like, "Okay, okay, I got you. Don't worry about it. Go to round one. It's fine." <laughs> That's like the old, uh, the old Louis Scott Vargas story from back yeah. in the day, with uh, you know, running a uh, Tinker Blade Steel and forgetting to forgetting his Blade Steel and just bluffing his way through the tournament. <laughs> or, or like uh, when he goes like Burning Wish and like Storm Count is ten. Yes, and he like, for- oh yeah, that's the yeah, he, yeah. He, he forgot the tendrils of agony. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's yeah, that's the story. Yep. Yeah, he goes like Burning Wish, and then all of his opponents are like, "Oh, you're LSP." 
be I'll concede you don't have to show me yep <laughs> yeah and then he and then he gets to top eight and top eight was open deck list so he convinced everyone to the chop just, yep, to split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah that's I mean so I heard that story and as a storm player at every single GP I've went to they always make me show them my tendrils which I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to do my tendrils. No, but it's definitely because of that story, because of that story started the practice of showing the tendrils. (laughs) Exactly. So everyone is like, uh, show me the tendrils. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you played legacy back in the day, you know, that was a very famous story. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I can uh, be part of the tradition of people asking me to show them the tendrils. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty sweet, uh, top eight. Uh, what is it? Six different decks in the top eight. That's, that's pretty good meta. Yeah. We got one, two, three, seven, seven. If you consider the turbo doomsday and the yeah, mid range doomsday, I, I mean, I they are, they're fairly different. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that they're different decks. The, yes, they do fall under the doomsday umbrella, but their approach to the game is very different the type of cards you need to play against them are also very different. Like, I, uh, the, yeah, go ahead, I, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I would consider it a larger difference than like Ant and Tess. Like I feel Ant and Tess are closer together than the uh, Turbo Doomsday and Midrange Doomsday yeah. as far as like play style and card selection. Yeah, like Ant and Tess at the core are still trying to be like, uh, you're trying to combo and kill them with either Tendrils or Empty or some type of Storm spell. Yeah, uh, the mid range approach to Doomsday is like Doomsday's almost like Plan One Point Five. I don't even want to say Plan B because like it's still it's still a looming threat at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're just their approach to like certain decks that they don't want to be casting Doomsday against. Like if they do, if their deck cooperates, they have a better shot at just beating them. Yep. Yeah. And then the the Hermit Hermit is very interesting tech. I I've genuinely thought it was just a huge meme but uh, a lot of i i've been seeing show and tell players from the hermit which <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with in show and tell because the manas don't really work out the way you want it to but i mean yeah it, it it does some work it's 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 interesting uh i and like obviously better magic players are saying that it's a good card so I, uh, as I said, I'll default to them. Yeah, but... <laughs> Bob, Bob Huang is the one who turned me on to Hermit. You know, I, oh, I, did he? Okay. Yeah, I, I looked at the spoilers. I'm like, yeah, these spoilers are garbage. There's nothing in here. And he's like, well, don't forget about this Hermit here. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why I leave all the deck building to the people that are good at the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's why my sneak and show list is the same as uh, my uh, my top eight from like 2018. hasn't <laughs> hasn't changed at all. <laughs> I mean, how 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 much better could it be? Like you go you go ancient tomb, Lotus Petal show until like. <laughs> uh, really, it's really it's that I just I don't want to buy any more foils, so you know, <laughs> can't change. <laughs> no, it it actually has changed. I have updated. I need to get some. Uh, some foil torpor orbs now actually Ooh, nice <laughs> yeah i've been running torpor orb in the sideways and i've been really liking that i i like the type of like i appreciate the people that are willing to put in the time and effort to like hone in on these types of decks like we we had for ant we were blessed with cyrus for the longest time until he took a step back from like competitive magic but uh, just having somebody that's willing to put in like the time and testing is is just so amazing. 
I know this is like a, like a completely different subject, but uh, like just like the people like Brian Cook or uh, Kai Sawatari that like just like will it? I only know the combo players, huh? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like just legacy offers that type of creative space for like these type of individuals to really explore like the depths of like what these cards are capable of in these in this format. So I I feel like that's why we all love legacy for the most part. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I don't and know then, why I started talking about that. <laughs> no, that's good. And then there's there's people like me who just, you know, ride on their coattails and just take their tech and <laughs> shove I it mean, in the deck and call it a day. <laughs> that's what I've been saying. I need somebody to put out a deck list. You know, I mean? <laughs> yeah. guys, I got a turn coming up. Someone needs to release a deck list. <laughs> like I, I need to start hitting up these Patreons for deck lists. <laughs> that's what I, I want. So it never, it, uh, at least not yet, but it hasn't been that big of a deal, but I, I do want wonder if the whole you know patreon style you know s- selling information um if that is going to affect the legacy meta in the future and you know you're gonna have you know these people only sharing the information with a subscription see i don't know i it's it's a it's a whole realm that i don't really understand that well like content creation and like the the money that's like tied to it obviously and how content creators have to make money and like make a living off of it uh, but I don't know. I, I, I guess it's up to the people really, if they want to like support like the person that they like, like, let's say Cyrus came out and said he had a Patreon and now he's uh, actively testing Ant again. And I, I would throw him 10, 15 bucks, probably a month for it. I, I don't mind. Like he's willing to put in the time. I, I, I waffle because like on one hand, it's like, okay, they're content creators. They're putting in a lot of work. Work deserves to be compensated. And then on the other hand, I'm like, but I also remember the days of like the super teams and there being like a, uh, an, um, almost an invisible wall between like the haves and the haves nots of competitors, where if you were on this super team, you got access to all this information uh, that other people didn't. And it just put you head and shoulders above the rest of the competition in the world, in the room. And, you know, that, that I don't like, but then on the other hand, again, I'm thinking, well, if they're selling this information, then the only, you know, invisible wall is your credit card. So (laughs) it's not like, uh, you know, you only get in if you know the right people and, you know, you do the initiation, Uh, you know, anyone can do it now. So I, I just, I go back and forth. I don't, I don't know where I am falling on this this issue yet <laughs> yeah i i think that's also like a general concept that that it's like a stigmatism that follows legacy a little bit like how it could be gatekeepy sometimes yeah like the 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 entry barrier to legacy right now is like ridiculous uh this is this is actually i mean this is uh, a different thing that i wanted to hopefully bring up uh was that the arizona magic series every single tournament that we run we make uh, playtest cards legal for all of our tournaments, uh, and and well, this this may be like a little a different a tangential argument to what you were saying about how there was an invisible wall from like the haves and have-nots of people having access to information. Uh, we wanted like obviously, I think a lot of that has like gotten a lot better. Like I I understand like the magic community in the olden days was a lot more click clicky. If oh yeah. It, yeah it's like worse than high school is what it yeah. felt like like yeah. old like 
legacy of about a decade ago ago was super freaking clicky and annoying (laughs) so i think in terms of uh the legacy community as a whole making strides towards being a more uh welcoming and like open community we have done like amazing like made amazing progress in terms of that uh but I think like even like the next step for a lot of tournament organizers out there that they a struggle that they are facing with, especially when it comes to hosting legacy tournaments is whether or not you should you allow playtest cards. Mm. And uh, I know like this has been touched upon by a lot of people, but our, our stance is clear, like Arizona Magic Series, our stances, playtest cards are always going to be legal at like the legacy tournaments that we host. Like legacy is a game that we love and want to share with as many people as we want to. Uh, and we didn't want like money or like an, that being like an entry barrier to players even enjoying the format in the first place. Because if, if we start doing that, I feel like we'll follow in the footsteps of vintage and then we're just going to become like an archaic format in the next few years. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that, that I agree that that's awesome, you know, letting letting people play and especially play the decks they want to play, you know, also just giving them a wider variety. And that's how you get a healthy meta is when you don't have, um, well, I guess there, there could be goods and bads of that. Sometimes restrictions breed creativity, but uh, just allowing people to, to get access and, and not have to worry about huge price tags to enter tournaments is, is pretty nice. Yeah, and if if there's anyone out there that is uh, is struggling with this issue, like uh, if you're like a like an independent tournament organizer like us, where we have to constantly fight with the stores to convince them that it's okay to run playtest cards, then uh, j- just know that back in uh, I forgot it was like a Legacy Stock Exchange or what the Vintage Stock Exchange, what the East Coast tournament mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh yeah. Uh, they they were the pioneers for this so we have all all for them to thank them of introducing the term playtest cards and making the differentiation between proxies and playtest cards uh so it that was a sanctioned legacy event of a vintage that they ran with playtest cards being allowed uh so there there is there is cases for it if if anyone needs to make that argument like i did to a store (laughs) owner (laughs) <laughs> then uh then more the power to you but uh it it has to happen with us like all the like the current legacy players have to be more willing and open to it because if we want our like this format as a whole to survive and prosper moving forward in in the form of paper not just moto then uh we we will have to make the effort ourselves of like making more accessible tournaments that's just something that I'm very, very passionate about. I wanted to put it out there. Sorry. <laughs> awesome. No, no, that's great. It deserves to be said. That's awesome. Um, also, just closing out the episode here. I uh, just want to let you guys know a bunch of you have been reaching out to me and Pat about when the next Leaving a Legacy Open it is. Uh, we are planning it. We are selecting a uh, week in April. Uh, so April is what we have zeroed in on. We're going to come out with an official date soon and, you know, can't wait to, uh, to play some legacy with you guys. I think Pat and I are actually going to get a chance to play in this event for once, which is going to be nice. <laughs> so we'll probably put bounties on Pat and mine, uh, my head, uh, for you guys to claim when you, uh, you send Pat and I to the sandwich bracket. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely awesome. <laughs> uh, closing us out, Tash. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for 
for coming on. It's been a great episode having you on here. Uh, did you have a anti-work story that you wanted to share with our listeners to, to close us out? <laughs> uh well, quick plug. We do have the March 26th. I just wanted to put oh, that yes. out there. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. If, yeah, plug, yeah, plug that If event. you happen to be in the Arizona area, March 26th at Gamers Guild Arizona Tempe, we are going to be hosting our next Legacy City Championship. Uh, so if you're out in the area, let us know. Come by, say hi, uh, and, and maybe we'll have a good time. And as far as anti-work story goes, uh, I, as, as I said, I used to work at a card shop for, for a long time. And uh, I just wanted to just, this is more like my poop scoops, I guess. <laughs> okay. I just All wanted right. to poop on the store that refused to run legacy tournaments. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, a very appropriate anti-work story. Excellent. <laughs> uh i for my poops and scoops i'm gonna poop on pat's work for uh making him stay late you know it's just it's just electrician guys you don't need lights you don't need lights tonight it could have been tomorrow <laughs> making him work a 12-hour day stringing lights up come on so i'm gonna poop on pat's, pat's work <laughs> uh any any scoops uh tash scoops uh uh, scoops. I probably want to shout out our whole Arizona legacy community. I want to scoop them in for just being overall awesome and uh, supportive of the whole process of us trying to keep the legacy tradition alive of playing paper legacy. So shout out to you guys for being part of this process, guys. Awesome. And I'm going to scoop in friend of the cast, the Hackbert for uh, connecting us, Dash. It was, it was great chatting with you and uh, great having you on the cast. And thanks to, to Hackbert for uh, introducing us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Hackbert, for, for this opportunity uh, for, for us to talk about Arizona Legacy. This was awesome. And hopefully uh, I can be on the cast again, maybe in the near future. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely let us know how the uh, how the event goes. We can talk about uh, the new top eight. And uh, also for all our listeners out there, if you have a little legacy community in some place you wouldn't expect, like you got like Kansas Legacy Players League and you got, you got people turning up every week to play some legacy, you know, let us know. Uh, we've been getting a lot of positive feedback about, about our uh, kind of reports on legacy communities from around the country. And hell, I'd love to do, start doing around the world so uh you know if you got a little a legacy community that you feel deserves some more attention and you know you have some events going up or you have a, some deck list from a recent event or anything like that hit us up you know we'd love to talk about your your local legacy scene and with that we will uh we'll call it quits for this week and we'll see you all next week Come on down to